Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome everyone. My name is Rachel, mother of two, Montessori certification in infant, toddler, birth through three years old. I'm here with Megan, mother of two, certified Montessori lower elementary teacher, ages six through nine, and currently working on her certification in primary, ages three to six, and Laura, mother of one, with her Montessori certification in lower and upper elementary, ages six to nine. Let's catch up. What has everybody been up to this week? I would like to start because today is a very special day in the earth. E-R-T-H, earth. E-R-T-H, <laughs> Is that today is the day that only just like a couple decades ago, probably two, Laura entered this planet. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you. So in honor of your birthday, my Sharon is going to be the first time I met Laura. Oh. Yeah. That's actually a good Sharon. This will be fun to hear a little walk down memory lane. A little walk down. Let's see what you remember versus what (laughs) I remember. This should be interesting. So I was starting this new job and I was walking into this like big, great room and it was my first time teaching lower elementary. So I was really nervous in this new school and I didn't know anybody. And I was like putting on a brave face and I walk in and I'm meeting with a bunch of teachers and meeting with people who are going to be also in lower elementary and my level. And I see this girl and she's got really cool yoga pants on, (laughs) has like this crazy design on them. She's like super fit. Quads can just crush skulls. And (laughs) I'm loving this story. Thank you so much. She's like got this cool hairdo and uh, like boxing t-shirt like has like gloves on it and stuff and I was like this girl is so cool one she was like the only one who was close to my age in our yeah, cohort it's true but also super cool and I was like we're gonna be friends I had it in my head that we would be friends which has only happened to me a few times in my life where I've met someone I'm like you're gonna be my friend you don't know it yet we've never spoken but you will be my friend so she comes up to me she introduced herself and she says hi I stalked you on Facebook <laughs> I did. I opened strong. <laughs> and <laughs> and your wedding was beautiful. <laughs> it's like, thank you. So that was my first interaction with Laura and uh, the rest is history. But I, I knew immediately, one, you looked really cool. And two, you just came right out of the gate saying that you had internet stalked me. So obviously we were going to be best Going to put all the weird right up front. And if you still want to be my friend, we're in good shape. Yeah. I'm actually really impressed that you did still want to be my friend and didn't go home like, ooh, I made a terrible mistake. I do not want to be friends with the other somewhat young person on our teaching team. <laughs> Is it weird that I remember what you were wearing, but I don't remember what I was wearing? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, thank you. That was really sweet to hear. I remember that too, because I remember getting the email that said that you were joining the team and you have a very distinct last name, right? Because you have kind of your hyphenated last name. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I think I can find this chick on Facebook. I can hone this in. So I did find you and was like, oh no. And the reason I thought that was you're gorgeous. And I was like, she's going to be mean because I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but pretty girls tend to be mean. 
Like if they know they're pretty. Now, obviously, that was a very immature and outdated way of seeing ladies. I have grown past (laughs) that now. But um, I was just intimidated. I was intimidated by you. She's a woman who supports other women. I do. I want to lift them up. If you're beautiful and you know it, good for you. However, at the time, I was like, oh, God, if she knows she's so pretty, she's not going to want to be my friend. (laughs) Eat you alive. Exactly. And I was like, oh, this is great. So, yeah, I don't know why I thought my best first move would be to tell you that I stalked you and that your wedding was beautiful, but also it was. I mean, I feel like I did a pretty good job of accomplishing my dream wedding, but if it had been on the West Coast, your wedding would have been 100% it. So pretty. If you guys haven't stalked Megan on Facebook yet, please stalk her. Look at her wedding. So pretty. Go look at my wedding. (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, I guess I'll just go from there. I feel like I already took up a good amount of time on just sharing Megan's story with her, so I won't (laughs) say too much more. It is my birthday. It is off to a really great start. It's been a really lovely day, and I've already been reminded it's 9.45 a.m., which I just love that we're recording in the morning again. Like, just these are the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I've already been reminded a good handful of times that I'm very blessed to have a lot of really amazing people in my life who are going out of their way to make this day special. I woke up to the most adorable voice message from Rachel's little boy singing happy birthday to me, which just like- So sweet. It was so Made my life. His his pauses in between, happy (laughs) birthday. It's like, it's like a snail, but it's the cutest thing ever. And then at one point, when you get to the part where you have to say the name, he was like, wait, who am I singing to? <laughs> You're like, Laura. <laughs> and he's like, whoa, I love it. I just love it so much. Yeah, I just, this next revolution around the sun is off to a great start. Should we have a Montessori sun ceremony? Yeah, a walk around the sun? Yeah. It would be so many laps, but it is definitely a really nice day and a promising start to a new year of existence. How about you, Rachel? We are alive and well, finally. Yeah, hand, foot, mouth. Woo, that really did us in. It hit my toddler, and then it hit my poor four-month-old, and then it hit me. Mm. Oh, God. It was really rough, guys. Literally, no sleep for like a solid four days because nobody was sleeping. My husband was still going to work, but I woke up one morning and I had just been walking my daughter up and down the hall since like midnight and it was like 5.30 and I I was like a zombie. Oh my God. And our little boy was in the bed with him and I just started crying and he was like, I'm going to stay home today. I was like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> because I cannot. I literally, and then I got a fever later that afternoon. But I mean, it was so bad for me. I really hope it wasn't that bad for my children because my throat and then my hands, I didn't think I'd get a rash, but like my hands and my feet were like sensitive to the touch. Hmm. I was walking down and touching the railing and it like nicked my finger and I looked and that's when I realized like, oh, my hand hurts. Like I have the rash all over, but oh God. anyways, we have recovered and we're good. And this fall weather is the best ever. So we're outside as much as we can be. Okay. Well, let's head into today's topic. This very well could be a two-part episode, I think, because there's a lot of really important things to unpack here. And I could imagine us talking about even just half of these things for the full length of a normal episode. So we might have to just see how many we get through today and come back to it next time. Okay, today's topic. So today we're going to talk about human tendencies. So let's explain what we mean by that. So humans are born with natural tendencies. They make us distinctly human. Human tendencies are defined as creative possibilities which urge the person and society towards survival, progress, and a sense of fulfillment. They're broad. So that means that they touch every part of the human by meeting our most basic needs physically, mentally, and spiritually. We have needs beyond our physical survival, and we strive for progress, to thrive and to find spiritual fulfillment through our relationships, our contributions, and our life's purpose. Maria Montessori created this method to support children's natural tendencies. So our goal in the Montessori classroom is to meet the needs of the children by creating an environment that honors their human tendencies. This is a crucial aspect of the Montessori method on which the entire philosophy is built. When we understand human tendencies, we can prepare the environment to serve the needs of the children and reveal their true potential. I think it's worth noting that is absolutely true outside of the classroom as well. Right. I think that's 
something we strive for in, mm-hmm. in the home. Yeah. So obviously we see these things in the classroom and we learn about them and we know how the materials and the way the classroom is set up to support these human tendencies. But I want to talk about how we can adapt that for the home and how we can look at these human tendencies and create a environment in our homes, but also kind of a philosophy within our own parenting that supports these natural tendencies. Because it sounds broad and it might sound scary and daunting to talk about this and you might already be a little bit confused. But basically, we're talking about how We have, as humans, no matter where we come from or who we are or when we were born, we have these natural instincts that are within us. And Maria Montessori understood that in order to get the best out of a human, we have to honor those things instead of fight against them. And I think that's something that we all love about it, but don't necessarily kind of get so nitty gritty about it. So I'm excited to talk about this. What are your thoughts, Rachel? I mean, I think it sounds so, it sounds intimidating, right? Like what Laura just read, like, it's like, oh, okay, maybe I need to re-listen to what Laura just shared or like press the pause button and process that. But we're humans. This is natural for each and every individual on this earth, our children, our grandparents, I mean, everybody. So like, it's normal. And I'm glad that we're going to dive in and talk about it. Yeah, I think it does sound like, oh my God, how would I possibly prepare an environment for all of that? But we broke it down in some hopefully more manageable ways to think about it. So all of the human tendencies will be broken down into characteristics. So if you're confused, don't be. We're going to get into each tendency and talk about how we can create an environment and a way of interacting with our children that supports each characteristic. So when it comes to these human tendencies, these characteristics are universal. So like Rachel said, they are true for all humans, whether it's your baby or your grandparents, in all walks of life, throughout all of time, throughout every culture, and in all geographic locations. While they may look different according to each person or that culture or their age or whatever plane of development they're in, they are ultimately unchanging. These characteristics are part of our human nature. So our job in the classroom and our job as parents in the home is to understand the characteristics and how they present themselves in different planes of development so that we can prepare the environment to serve the needs of the child. The way we meet these needs will be in accordance with our children's culture, their abilities, their place in time and where they come from. However, the tendencies will remain the same. So the first one on our list is order, something we've talked about a lot already, right? Order. Humans have a natural desire for order. And you know what? We did talk about this a lot in terms of children, especially toddlers, but it's absolutely true of us as adults too. We thrive on routine, consistency, and structure. And there are varying levels for different people, but everybody needs at least a little bit of each of those three things. Children also have a very natural desire for order. However, children can't always create order. They don't always feel like they have that power. In fact, most of the time they don't have that power. So it's kind of on us to provide that for them. In the Montessori classroom, we prepare the environment to meet that need. There's a place for everything. There are consistent expectations for all children in the community. And when there is order, routine, and consistency, children can find space to explore, move independently, and feel confident in their surroundings. So let's stop with that one. What do you ladies want to say about order? I love order. I thrive (laughs) in order. And when my life is out of order, just like the littlest bit, it throws the whole household. It throws me, it throws my husband, it throws my kids because that's just what we're used to, right? So I think just to know that there's a natural desire for it in each and every kid. And I think all the time, like I hear too, like I can't get my child to clean up or I can't get my child to put that back there it's a natural desire they have. So maybe the way you have things set up isn't maybe set up in the best way for your child to be successful so that they can be orderly. Does that make sense? It definitely does. I've also heard that, that like, oh, my kid can't, my kid wouldn't. And it's like, 
Well, but are you really making it Mm -hmm. fully possible for them to have that ability to experience that? Because I'm sure they want that. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit in sensitive periods and also the prepared environment. So it keeps coming up. It's incredibly important. And it doesn't just touch the physical environment. So yes, we want everything to have a place and to try to keep it pretty minimal because when it's overwhelming and there's too much, you can guarantee that that child is not going to put their things away. They're not going to be able to tap into that natural tendency if there's chaos around them. It's like Laura said, we can't expect order unless we create it Mm -hmm. and allow that natural urge to flourish. And it touches our routines, our rhythms, our consistent language and expectations. So order, since it's a natural human tendency, it touches every part of the human experience from physical to spiritual to mental, all of it. And so I think that parenthood in general And if you're a teacher, like it can feel really chaotic a lot of the time. So I don't want to make any, if you're in like a chaotic time in your life right now, or just a chaotic day or chaotic week, it's fine. It's okay. But I think it's just important to know that these tendencies exist and that we can kind of capitalize on them when we create an environment that supports it and like bolsters it. Well, I think even when you're in a crazy time and, you know, like I know, I'm in a super crazy time right now and I feel all the time there's only one of me when I'm nursing my child and then my toddler needs something and it all goes to chaos, I feel like, in like within five minutes sometimes. But I have a natural desire for order just as every human does and I found in these chaotic times I have to step back and I have to have a plan. I can't just sit down and expect my toddler to be good for the next 15 minutes and just like stare at a wall when I have to nurse my baby. Like I have to set him up for success. And that creates order when I'm giving him like the sticker book or saying, hey, you have 15 minutes to watch this show for right now. Or hey, let's go to the playroom and I'll get a few new lessons out for today. So even in the times of chaos, I feel like I have found that I need the order even more. And I just have to step back and figure out, okay, what can I put in place to make this more orderly in my life at this moment? Or it does feel like chaos all the time. And I'm telling you, that will tear you down. (laughs) Because I mean, it will tear you down. That's such a good point, Rachel, that it doesn't necessarily need to be something that we're always proactive about. Yeah. If you find yourself in a time of chaos or stress, take a step back and think, I have this natural tendency in me as an adult. And so does my child. How can I reset? And it really will bring you a sense of calm and peace because like we said, it speaks to every person in all times, in all walks of life. So yeah, it's a good step back and say, okay, how can I create some order in our lives right now where it might be lacking? Because when those natural tendencies aren't being met, that's when we start to feel a little bit out of control. Yeah. And I think there are two other really important words in that paragraph, which are routine and consistency. And again, depending on the plane of development that your child is in, we are all working currently with children that are in that first plane. But this also extends to older children too. Having just a basic idea of what to expect out of your day. Like, I know I'm going to wake up at around this time. I know I'm going to do this for a chunk of time. I know there's going to be a lunch. You know, like just having an idea of your routine for your day can be so, so important to all of us as human beings. Knowing what to expect, feeling like it's not completely chaos. Even if there are going to be things all throughout the day that are a little chaotic and we're not completely in my control, knowing that you have like a basic structure to go back to. Routine is so, so important and consistency. I mean, if you have small children, you probably have already seen, they absolutely crave that, look for that and test that. And to be able to depend on you. Like Megan, you said in one of our earlier episodes that you are already trying so hard to make sure that your word is as good as gold with your children, especially the older toddler. So like if you say something to her, she can count on you meaning that thing. She can count on the fact that you're not going to go back on that. You're not going to change your mind because it's not convenient for you anymore to do that thing, whatever it is, right? You are going to stay consistent in your yeses. You're going to be consistent in your noes. You're going to be consistent in your expectations of her. And that 
is so, so, so huge in her feeling comfortable and confident in her environment and comfortable and confident in her relationship with you, Yeah, which is our ultimate goal, right? Is for them to at least feel that with us. Yeah. I mean, you said in there that we have to provide that order. And so I think that that's really key is that we have to create a space where all of those things are expected and that routine is honored and that rhythm is honored. And of course you said like things are going to happen. It's okay. But when it's time to reset, that's a good thing to be keeping in mind is that not only is this going to benefit your child, but it's also going to benefit you. Yeah. Okay. Orientation. I'm excited about this one. So orientation is necessary for humans to thrive. Humans need to know where they are in time and space compared to others. This is necessary for our survival. We need to know where we are and where we're going for our shelter, our food, our water source, and where danger might be. Therefore, we need to feel a sense of familiarity moving around our environment in order to feel confident and calm. Adults are able to orient themselves in new places by, say, reading about it ahead of time, looking at your GPS, looking at a schedule, asking for help. You can ask like, hey, where's the restroom? But children aren't able to do that. So they also have a natural need to orient themselves to new places. So we talk about order within the home and within the classroom. We obviously don't always stay in one place. So I think that this is really important for success outside of the home and outside of the classroom is that we have to help children become oriented to where they are so they can feel safe. So this could look like, say, you're going to go to the grocery store, maybe stopping before you walk in and telling your child what they're going to expect. And maybe having a quick walk around, like walk around the space. Here's where the vegetables are. This is where the eggs and the meat are. Here's where the bathroom is in case you have to go to the bathroom. It can take a lot longer, but when we're talking about orientation in a means to make ourselves feel safe, think about how unnerving it is as an adult to go to somewhere you've never been before. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like if you went to someone's house and you walked in the door and they got mad at you because you didn't take off your shoes. But you didn't know that that was an expectation. Right. And then you walk in, you take off your shoes and no one shows you around and you have to just go find the bathroom. It's important for us to help children feel safe and secure where they are so that they can freely and confidently explore. So we can't hold them to certain expectations. We can't expect that they're not going to run around the grocery store if we don't have those expectations ahead of time and we don't orient them to their new space and what the expectations are. So what do you guys have to say about that? I think that's a great one. I think that's a great reminder for me personally. I think that whether you experience, you know, sort of your example was running wild in the space, right? And showing unexpected behavior in this situation that was new and therefore really overwhelming for them. But a lot of us also might have an experience where we have a child who kind of shuts down in that situation, who gets really, really nervous, really self-conscious, doesn't want to interact with the people there, is afraid to tell you they have to go to the bathroom because they don't know where the bathroom is and what it might look like or what to expect in there. And so like the behavior that you see as a reaction to that really bridges a really wide spectrum of ways that it can manifest. The reasons that you gave for orientation being so important are primal instincts. I need to know that I'm safe. I need to know where my food and water is coming from. I need to know the danger in the situation. Those are primal instincts that we cannot escape or logic out of us. So I love that reminder of when feasible, and of course there will be times where you are running in and out, you are in a rush, you just you do not have time to talk about what might be in there and what the layout of this store is and all of that, right? There will be times where it's just not possible. But wherever possible, I think it really is a great practice to help your child understand what to expect, to understand what are we doing, where are we? And and just really it boils down to that you are safe here. You are safe here. I'm with you. We're good. 
think that that's a really huge human tendency that gets overlooked a lot. And for the exact reasons you gave that as adults, we have so many coping mechanisms and just so much more experience under our belts that we know what to expect or how to orient ourselves in a new situation for the and most yet, part. So many of us still have that social anxiety. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, what we talked about when I met you for the first time, I had to walk into this new school. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know where anything was. And I didn't know what was expected of me. And I had anxiety about it. So it can seem a little bit cushy. I think people are like, oh, okay, like you're down on the ground talking to your child about where the bathroom is and and what you expect out of them. We're going to hold hands and there's going to be a big open space and whatever it is. And they might think it's a little bit cushy and it's, you know, making them soft or whatever it is, but it's an actual human mm-hmm. tendency. It's a natural desire and it's part of our human makeup. So it's really important. But when we do that, and thank you for the reminder, because I know I do this with my children in my classroom all the time, but I don't think I always do it with my toddler at home the best. But when we do this, we're setting ourselves up and them up for success. And then more than likely, maybe that tantrum that could have happened, it it prepares when you're doing this, you're like filling the cup up before starting the process. And that's probably going to prepare you for a more successful experience, whatever that may be, Mm -hmm. because you front loaded, because you made them aware, they knew what was coming, you knew what was coming, and you were in it together. And that sets you up for success as a parent. And that feels good. Because then when you do something, and it's successful, and they feel good, and you feel good, you're like, yes, that was a win. And that's what you want, right? Yeah. Yeah. I heard from a Montessori trainer once and I forgive me, I don't remember who it was, but she said, you can't have responsibility without expectations. So children can't be held responsible for what they don't know. So if you're taking them somewhere, say you're going to a farmer's market and you expect them not to run out into the middle of the open field away from you where you can't keep eyes on them, They are not responsible for that if you haven't set up those expectations. So we can only do with the information that we have. And if this is a new place, that child does not have the information they need to be held responsible to what your expectations are. So I think that that's really important when it comes to orientation. And like Laura said, there are times that you can't, like you're in a rush or it's something that's impromptu. You weren't expecting that you were going to do it. It can be as simple as, and this has been really successful for me with my kids, is we're driving somewhere, wasn't expecting to have to do this. Say it's a doctor's appointment and I didn't know we were going to go do this in the car. We're just saying, hey, we're going to go to the doctor and they're going to look in your ears and they're going to wrap the measuring tape around your head and you're going to get weighed and we're just going to talk about it. Mama's going to hold your hand and if you're scared, I'll hold you. And so we'll talk about it and it might be that simple, but it really is actually really helpful. Instead of walking in completely, they have no idea what to expect and what the expectations are of them. It helps to orient them to that new space and those that new situation. Yeah, I do love that trick of I all the time on the ride to wherever we're going, we have a conversation, some kind of previewing of the situation. And like you said, Rachel, that's something I did flawlessly in the classroom. But when you have 20 something, you know, 30 something kids, and you're all going out on a field trip together, it feels very necessary to make sure everybody understands the expectation. Everybody feels safe and I can keep them safe. You know, like that's literally my job. But you forget to do that when it's one, two, three kids of your own and you're just going out for fun. Like I don't want it to feel stressful. I didn't think I had to prepare them for the park, but it can just be such a game changer. So I do love that tip of talking about it on the way to wherever you're going. If you don't have time when you get there to like do a slow tour. And then also just to to be aware if you end up in a situation where you didn't get to do any kind of prep, you have thrown them or all of you guys into a new or just somewhat unfamiliar situation that you might be seeing this coming out in them. You might be seeing that need for orientation manifesting in a variety of ways. And then maybe you do need to stop for a second and say, I see you're feeling a little uncomfortable here. Let's talk about what's going on and and then hopefully head off some of those big feelings and big behaviors off at the pass if if you can. So just being aware of this. Yeah. For all of these, I think that the big thing is just us understanding them. We talked about the beginning. Mm-hmm. Let's just understand what the human tendencies are and see 
how we can slowly start to think about these as we move throughout our day with our children. So Rachel, do you want to hit us with the next one? Exploration. As humans, we need physical exploration and intellectual exploration. Adults often use their intellect to explore. When humans feel oriented and safe, we are able to explore to learn more about our environment. For young children, they use physical exploration through the senses to navigate and understand the world around them. Children are sensorial explorers. We want to give them the opportunity to use their natural tendencies to help them explore their environment. Love this one. Yeah, this isn't big. Yeah. Love this reminder that they are sensorial explorers because how many of us as parents have been in settings where we're like, don't put that in your mouth. Don't touch that. That's wet. It's dirty. Like I can clearly see the outcome from you exploring that thing in that way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Why can you not? Like, why will you not just get out of the puddle? This is exactly why, because this is how they're learning and gleaning the same information that I now confidently have as an adult. That's where it came from. At some point, I too put my hand in the mud. I tried to pump the water out of the thing. You know, like I explored all the things with my hands and my eyes and my taste buds and all of it. And like, this is what they're trying to do now. This is how they explore. Mm -hmm. And it can be so frustrating for us, but it's so necessary. When we talk about human tendencies, how we can relate it to each plane and each person in every culture and and so it talks about how adults tend to explore intellectually. So how many times a day do you Google something like, hey, what's the capital of whatever? Like, yeah, we are explorers by nature. And I think that we forget that this is happening all the time for us. And it's also happening for our children. And I love that example, Laura, because it's true. We, we walk into a situation and our kids immediately put their hands on everything, everything, everything. everything. Especially the stuff they're not supposed to touch. (laughs) And I think it's important for us to remember that this isn't naughty behavior. They're not being bad. This is a natural human tendency. They're being exactly human. Mm -hmm. Period. And so I think that a really nice thing to remember is that we can't expect that they don't do this because they cannot help it. You cannot punish it out of them. You cannot. You can't. It's within them. They they have to do it. It is who we are as people. And so I think that the moment that we know that, the moment we can let go of feeling like a bad parent when your child goes into a space and starts touching everything, there, there's nothing that you're doing wrong. If anything, exploration is how they're building up their intellect. It's how they're storing up information about the world. And obviously we've talked about risky play. And I love how Becky in our episode with our Montessori garden, how she talked about hazard versus risk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's certain times where there's a hazard. You cannot pick up the shard of glass. You, you can't lick these droppings that you found yeah. on the ground. Or, yeah. You know, you're at the post office. You cannot grab the box off of the shelf. Like you just, there are things that we can't do, but when it is possible and when it is safe to just let them explore, it is beneficial for them to do that. So yeah, I think this one is huge. Well, this is a need. They have the need. Mm-hmm. Just like you said, uh, it's natural. I Google things all the time. Like I, I have that natural instinct. This is a need. But if they're not, well, I'm, I'm always coming back to the other side of this. Like if they're, if we're not allowing them to explore, if we're not allowing them to touch that rock or that worm in the dirt that they found outside that they're so interested in, you're going to see another effect. Like it's going to flip on you and more than likely then negatively something's going to happen because you're, you're not meeting the need. Their, their need is not being met. They're not getting that, Mm -hmm. that opportunity. And that's exactly what I was going to say, Rachel, is it can be really scary. You don't feel safe because you haven't gotten to build up that list of experiences. You can't say, oh, I know this one. I'm comfortable with this. So it's really important to provide that when you can, where you can, when it's safe, because of exactly what Rachel's saying, because it can turn on you so that, and then then you have a situation where your kids are terrified of things that you feel like they shouldn't be. Yeah. Or often too, I think you can see the impulse control Mm-hmm. that they struggle with because totally. it's like, oh, I have to grab this before someone grabs it from me. 
Right. There's a lot of peace and safety that comes along with the opportunity that we provide in an environment that that encourages this. But I also do want to circle back to we do understand that there are neurodivergent children who will struggle with sensorial experiences, whether or not you give them the opportunity. Yes. So that's always our little caveat is that there are certain times where it depends on your child's needs. It's individual and they are universal, but they do change person to person. Yeah. Just acknowledging that even though these tendencies are human in general, they will manifest differently for each child. And you could have a neurodivergent child and finding ways to help them to be comfortable or safe in those scenarios is equally, if not more important than your neurotypical child. It still applies, but I don't want anyone feeling like if your child is afraid of a certain sensorial experience, it's because you didn't provide the opportunity. Right. That's not necessarily true, but it's always beneficial and always helpful to create a safe space where they can freely explore as they're ready to meet that need that they have. The last one we'll cover for today is going to be observation. Another thing that we have talked about ad nauseum, we know, but hear us out. So observation, we notice the things around us. This helps us survive. That is a survival mechanism built into us from the beginning. Some of us are more situationally aware than others, but we all have it to some degree. We must be able to survey our surroundings and notice any threats or dangers that may harm us. We use observation and read body language, and we connect to others around us. Observation helps us to gather information and learn about our world. Children learn from watching us, from observing how we behave and how others behave. Children learn from each other and from the feedback of the environment. They learn more about what we do than what we say. So I like this has a little twist. So we're not just saying observation in terms of us observing them. What we're trying to point out now is that they are observing us and all of the other humans around them because it is literally teaching them how to behave in their culture and their society, what is safe, what is unsafe, what is expected. I mean, everything. They are watching us more than they are listening to what we are saying. Yeah, I think that that part is huge. Like you said, we've talked a lot about how we observe as adults, but this is how children are learning how to exist and how to behave in their culture, in their community, in their home, in their classroom. And so we have to be really, really aware of how we are behaving and what message we're sending through our behaviors, which can be really, really tough. And I'm sure all of us can talk about a time where our children may say something or do something that they witnessed us doing that we don't maybe appreciate. You know, like <laughs> We're not super proud of them regurgitating that. Yeah. So my daughter, she's been saying, she'll look at me and she'll be like, get out of here. <laughs> And like point at me and like have this mean face and she's like, get out of here. And for the longest time, I was like, where did she get that? Like, I have never (laughs) yelled at her like that or told her to get out of here. I would never. And I realized one day as I was yelling at the dog because he ate one of the kids peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I said, get out of here. Yeah. Because there's a doggy door right there. And I was like, get out. And I kicked him out. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay. So that's it. They're watching us all the time. And they're not able to filter out what's good and what's bad and what we want them to do and what we don't want them to do. They're taking it all. And we've talked about the absorbent mind, especially for these children who are in, you know, that infancy to six years old. They're absorbing everything, not just the beautiful things you say, not just the beautiful things you do, but also the not so beautiful things you say and the not so beautiful things you do. We always talk about how it starts with you. If we expect respect, we need to be respectful. If we expect kind words, we need to use kind words. If we expect that our children are gracious, we need to be gracious. So I think that the first teachers and the first example is you and how you exist. 100%. And not just towards them using the kind words and the kind actions and the graciousness, but in everything that you do. 
right? That's really, that's the key part that's so hard and overwhelming about this aspect of it. I remember in my training, learning several times the importance of being aware of how are you interacting with the other adult in the room? A lot of times Montessori classrooms are two adults and they're watching the other adult interactions too. So like you can speak like this to the children all day, but if I take an attitude with my partner, whether that's in the classroom or at home, right? And it's so easy to catch yourself taking an attitude with your partner at home and having a little mm-hmm. heated disagreement that you think like your language is above them. So they're not quite understanding what exactly I'm saying, but they sure are feeling how I'm saying it. They're seeing my face change, you know, like the body language. They read body language as a survival mechanism better than we even do right now. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of other people out there that have experienced spending time with a child who has called you out on something that you didn't think anybody else was aware of, like asking if you're okay or why you're sad or why you're frustrated or why you're mad. And you could have bet everything in your bank account that you were hiding it. No, not with kids. Yeah. They're observing it all and soaking it all in. And I love that example that it was the dog, the way you talk to the dog Mm -hmm. that she's now testing and trying. Yeah. And used it on me, you know, she she didn't take, oh, this is how we talk to the dog when he's eaten the food off of the table. She just said, this is how we talk. This is an okay reaction to have to somebody when you're frustrated with them. Yeah. And so you mentioned adults. I mentioned other beings. This also is the materials that you have in your home or in your classroom. Mm, So if we expect that our children handle their stuff with care, we also have to do that. It's really easy. Like we have a lot more motor control. I can carry 10 things at once in my arms, you know, and kind of toss them in to the rooms and try to clean up around the house. But they're also watching that. And an example I have of that is that we give the kids glass cups. We've talked about this before is something we do in the Montessori environment. And we're always asking her to use two hands and she never does. And one day I realized we don't use two hands. Right. When I drink something, I use one hand and she's doing what she sees. So I can say a million times, two hands, use two hands, use two hands. This is glass. It's fragile. Use two hands. And then immediately I pick up my cup with one hand and I drink it. So you don't have to be perfect and you're not and you're going to do things that maybe you don't want your child to do. But it's good to be aware yeah. that they are observing you. And if you do need to remedy something, how would you want your child to do that? So say say you do yell at your dog, you know, or you yell at your child, you get angry. Like how would you expect them to remedy that? Maybe I need to go up and say, I got frustrated and I yelled and I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that and I'll try better next time. Whatever it is, we are constantly teaching them through our actions. So I think it's not as important to be perfect, but more important to be aware, you know? Yeah, 100%. I think that if you live consciously or subconsciously by that old saying, do as I say, not as I do, you can expect some static there. You can expect to see behaviors and hear words come from your children that you don't love because most likely you are modeling that for them without really even realizing it. And again, we're not perfect. We're going to do that stuff. I toss books over to the bookshelf when I'm done with them all the time and then have to stop and say, mommy should not throw the books. In fact, a lot of times it helps to even kind of put her in the leadership role of saying, can you show me how I should put the book back on the bookshelf, right? Like you're gonna mess up. But to Megan's point, find a way then to sort of repair that, to show like, yeah, we are gonna mess up. This is how you make it better. You are gonna lose your temper. You are gonna yell at somebody. It's okay to say, I'm sorry, I lost my temper. You know, like that humility, that grace coming from you means so, 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 so much. So just being aware that if there's a behavior you're seeing in your child that you don't love, check in with yourself. See if it's something that maybe you accidentally modeled. And maybe it's not, but maybe it is. And then there is always a chance to repair it. There's always a chance to make a new choice next time, right? Just as we tell them, it's the same for us. There's always a chance to choose better next time. Yeah. And we always say, we show, we don't tell. So I called myself out on several things. I'm going to call myself out in a positive way. (laughs) My daughter is constantly, every time I do something for her, she goes, thanks so much, mama. Thanks so much. And I have never once asked her 
to say thank you or please or any of it. I don't believe that that's genuine. I don't believe that we have to teach children to be kind and gracious and polite. But I show her when she hands me something, I say thank you. When I'm out at the store and someone hands me my receipt, I say thank you, have a nice day. And she's picking up on that. So I don't need to force that gratitude in her. I just need to model it with everything that I do. And she also all the time is, sorry, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And I've never once asked her to apologize. And so a lot of it is these things that we want from them, these things that we want to see, these positive qualities, we don't have to tell them. We just have to show them. Yeah. And, you know, we see a lot of parents and I see it come up kind of naturally for me wanting to say like, say thank you, you know, say thank you or say you're sorry. Instead, I would advise that you model it because they're watching. And they will get it yeah, because this is a natural tendency. And I'll say I am like a hybrid version of those two parenting styles where I I do say to her, you know, if she asks for water, I'll say, if you want someone to do something for you, say, please, can I have some water? Like I sort of explained to her that that is like a social expectation, but I also consistently model that myself. And it's easy, right? My husband and I, we've been together for almost nine years. If he brings me a glass of something, it's easy to not even say thanks. So just like expect that he was going to do that because we just work as a smooth team like that. But when she's there, you bet your bottom dollar, I'm going to say, thanks. Thank you for bringing me water. And so it's funny because when I just sort of explain that that's an expectation, some of the time she does it, other times she doesn't. But when she notices that Chris and I consistently use that language and are respectful and kind and say thank you and say please and apologize when we've hurt somebody or made a mistake, it starts to come out in her more and more and more. And those moments are so much more gratifying as a parent to see that she said, please, thank you, or I'm sorry, without being prompted, because she clearly at this point has come to see that that is what you do as a human. So like, not only do they expect me to do that, they also do it. Mm -hmm. And then those lessons come together so much more quickly. Yeah, I love that hybrid because not everybody might be as extreme as me. But I do want to say, like, I don't expect anyone to do it this way, but I do want to say that since I've never asked her to say that, never forced her, she still does it. So I do want to just encourage whoever is out there listening that that it it will come. It will happen yeah. even if you never once ask them. And I like your example where if that's something that you do want to do that you can balance it out with making sure that you are modeling it also. Yeah. That you're not just saying you need to say please, but you're also saying please. Yes. I think there are a lot of us out there that especially if you're in a situation where you're out in society, you're out with maybe people that are like outside of your family or extended family, you do feel this sense of obligation for your child to be polite. And you feel this guilt if they're not, you know, if they snatch something out of grandma's hand and run away, that you feel like, oh God, they're judging my child. They're rude. They're entitled, blah, blah, blah. And you'll catch yourself saying, say thank you to grandma. Mm Mm-hmm. It's going to come out. It comes out of my mouth all the time. It does, yeah. I try to balance it out with, thank you, Grandma, for that cup of water. Would you like to say thank you to Grandma or how would you like to say thank you? Would you like to say it with your words? Would you like to use a sign? Would you like to give her a hug? You know, like just the important part is you can't just tell them what Mm -hmm. to do. You do have to model it because they are watching you more than they are listening. Yeah. I could talk about that for a really long time. Yeah. It is hard, the social pressure. Yeah. I will say that usually what I do is just, I will say thank you. You know, someone hands her something, I'll be like, thank you. Thank you. That's so nice. And sometimes she also says thank you. But I have found that if I lean over and say, say thank you, and then she doesn't, it's even worse. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's true. So like puts her on the spot. And then it gives the opportunity for now this like, do I like make her or do I talk over her and say, oh, she, thank you. Like, it's just, it puts her in a situation that I don't necessarily want to put her in. Yeah. I like that you give options of like different ways you can say thank you. I feel like we could talk about this whole situation for a really long time. Yeah. Like you said, the goal is really that we model. Yeah. As much as we can. Mm -hmm. And that when we drop the ball on the modeling, that we acknowledge that too. Yeah, Because that's an important thing to model too, that you are going to mess up, that you can come back from that. 
Yeah. So, so yeah, I think that that's a really good place to stop for now. We have a good handful more of <laughs> yeah, these tendencies do. that I really am excited to unpack. But I think for the sake of everybody's time, we will wrap this for today and we'll just do a part two with more human tendencies that are really helpful to know about when you are parenting. All right. Is it me? Is it me? Let's finish out the show with a segment called Confessions from the Wild. Rachel is nursing at the moment, so that means it's you. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to confess something that I have been keeping a secret for a couple of weeks now. We are expecting our next child. We're expecting a number two. So I get to join the club in the intro and say mother of two. You know how much it's been bothering me that it's like, (laughs) Laura, mother of one. I'm mother of two and she's a mother of two too. Yeah, no, I'm coming for you guys. I am... Working on number two, we are pregnant. I shouldn't say we. Chris is always like, don't say we. I'm not doing anything. You are pregnant. You are doing all the work. He's definitely not pregnant. So yeah, that's my big my big confession is that I've been wanting to say this for so many recordings at this point now, but... It's been so hard not to talk about it. I know. There have been a lot of things I've cut from previous episodes that were like leaning towards hinting at... Oh, I was talking about your glow, that you were glowing, and we oh. had to just... We had to just act like you just like have a really great skincare routine <laughs> and that you've been hydrating. No, you've got the baby glow. Yeah. So that's my big thing. We're due in March. So another baby is joining the Montessori moms and babes in the wild team. Yeah. Come next spring. We are very much outnumbered. Yeah, yeah. seriously. We've talked about my just influencer magnetism. And I just have to say that you have copied both of my baby's birthdays. That's true. Okay. (laughs) Okay. The first one you don't get to take credit for because the first children that we all had were like pretty much all conceived almost on the same day and came like pretty much in the same window of time. However, this one I'm straight up copying you because your number two came in March what, two years ago? Yeah. And now my number two is doing the same thing. So yeah. So we you're have right. our January babies and our March babies like in the same week. Hashtag influenced. Influenced. By Megan. Again. Again. I am so excited. I know, I know that's what you were thinking about when you were conceiving. Let me check the calendar. Will this child come when Megan's child? Okay, great. It's either going to need to be March or May, guys. I'm going to need to match up with Megan or Rachel. I have to copy one of them. So, But we are so excited and so excited for you. And yes, you're glowing. I will say with your first pregnancy, you were also adorable. Oh, thanks. I did not feel adorable. I'm not going to lie. I feel like it's hard when you're pregnant, you feel like a whale. And then when I look at other pregnant people, I'm like, look at your belly. You're so cute. And when it was me, I was like, I'm disgusting. I know. Whereas like I would be walking next to you on the playground and be like, I just wish I carried like Megan. But you have also like a lot more torso to work with. Like poor Rachel and I, we've got like, we're like ribs and hips. So like (laughs) Mm -hmm. as soon as you're pregnant, the baby is just like everywhere. Like you just expand massively. I just felt so big. I already feel so big. It's true too with number two. Yeah, it happens so fast. So fast. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like another four weeks from now, I looked like this with my first pregnancy. I'm also happy that you won't be teaching because I remember distinctly, it was like the last few weeks. So I was very pregnant. You were very pregnant. And you walked up to my classroom door and your ankles were the size of a large man's neck. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Laura, you need to sit down. Like, no, you're just like on your no feet sitting all day, down. Yeah. and you are. And you know, hardest. we teach I mean, in a Montessori yeah. environment, so most things are done on the floor. Lessons are given up on the and floor. Down and you're up getting and up down and down and as this huge bowling it's such ball. Such a hard job to do. Pregnant is in your stomach, and so I, I feel like you are just. You look so rested, and you look like you're glowing, and you're going to go work outside after this and get some sun and. Yeah. I'm hoping that it's a positive pregnancy. I mean, you've had some nausea and you've thrown up a few times. Yeah. So that's not 
ideal. But this baby is definitely giving me a little bit more of a run for my money, but every other circumstance in life is like super conducive to being pregnant right now. So I cannot complain. I'm very excited. I feel very, very blessed. I'm very, very grateful. And yeah. That's it. That's my big confession. But you can complain. Thank you. If I you have can. to, I will. In fact, I'm sure there will be future confessions coming yeah. out of this yeah. now that everybody For knows. all of the pregnant women out there or any parent or you know, any human, <laughs> you are allowed to be grateful and you are also allowed to complain. And I am here for both. But you know what? Any human. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to be as inclusive as possible yeah, you in complain, this statement. girl. Everybody out there, call me up with your complaints. Yeah. All right, Rachel, you have finished feeding your little baby dumpling child. So do you have a confession for us this week? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just going back to all the sleepless nights last week. And there was one night, I think it was like 2.30 in the morning. I had our little girl and I was bouncing up and down the hall and our toddler was just screaming and I could not like we couldn't get him to settle. We turn on the TV. There's like nothing. He just wanted to be here. You know, when they have the fever and they're just so like he just couldn't yeah. be comfortable. Like he's squirming. He just didn't and, feel good. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like holding both of them and I'm like, I literally can't do this. So we go and I just turn on the bath and we all got in the bath and had a bubble bath. <laughs> and then I was like, go get a popsicle. <laughs> Garrett goes and gets a popsicle and he's eating a blue popsicle and it's 2.30 in the morning and that's just what we did. And now, now he thinks though that he can always have a popsicle in the bath. Actually, he woke up in the middle of the night last night and he said he needs water on the monitor. He, I need water, mommy. So I go in there. Here's your water. Lay back down. It's still dark. It's night night. Let's take a bath. I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> Created a monster. But I so love the image of practically your whole family in the tub <laughs> at like three o'clock in the morning, covered in bubbles, eating popsicles, yeah. like just I feel living like your that's best one life. Of those- memories that in the moment was probably terrible because yeah. you should be asleep. Yes. Everybody go to bed. Everybody go but to bed. <laughs> I feel like it's one of those memories that you'll look back on so fondly of like mm-hmm. just being up in the middle of the night in bubbles, yep. having popsicle. Like the, I mean, and that's, oh gosh, that's parenting, right? Like it's just these, the worst moments that are just also wonderful and magical mm-hmm. at the same time. It is truly. All right. Speaking of tragedy, uh, Megan, tragedy tragedy and trauma, tell us what your confession is. Yeah. So I was saying that I didn't have a confession. And so it was just like, okay, think of something, what's something that is embarrassing that happened to you. (laughs) And of course, like five things came up and like four of them had to do with the same thing. So this happened to me several times, (laughs) but I'm just going to talk about one of them. So in my early 20s, I was a camp counselor for most of like from 19 through like 25. I was a camp counselor during the summers. I see that. I totally see that. Yeah. So I know all the songs, guys. I can just make a lanyard like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) And (laughs) And whip up a friendship bracelet Mm -hmm. like it's my job. No problem. Tie-dyeing, come over here. You're my girl. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So before the summer starts – You do this like orientation time where you get to know all the counselors, you learn games and, you know, do all the policy stuff and safety measures, sign all the paperwork, all the fun stuff. No kids. And we were playing this game, like this icebreaker game, which who likes icebreaker games? I don't. No. I hate that whenever someone's like, we're going to play a game. Can we not? They made me so uncomfortable. Okay. So we were playing this game where you like had to get to know each other and it was kind of like musical chairs and so it was like if you you know have a dog you like stand up and you have to go find an empty chair and apparently I was a little bit overzealous about this game even though I hate (laughs) icebreakers (laughs) and I'm probably like 20 so I'm not a child And I get up and I like run to my chair and I sit and I just went a little too hard and I just completely fall over backwards out of my chair. You know, when you like fall out of a chair, it's not like it's not like regular falling down because your feet are still (laughs) hanging over the like chair. And so you kind of have to like roll out of it. 
There's no graceful way to flip your chair in front of a group of people. And I remember as my legs are dangling over the edge and I'm using my momentum to like (laughs) turn me around out of the chair, I think like, what am I going to do when I stand up and I face these people? I'm in a rush to get up right now, but I have no game plan for what's going to happen. You know, what do I like? Hope that no one saw me tip over out of my chair. <laughs> what do I say? Like, oopsie daisies. I don't know. Like, how do I do this in a way? And it's people I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> oopsie daisies. I don't know. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. So I just stood up awkwardly, face turned red, and I was kind of like, I'm okay. <laughs> so you're telling me there are at least three other times that you fell out of a chair or through a chair. I or had, a yeah, chair. I had a few that, like, I had thought of that and I was like, oh, yeah, that happened in the eighth grade. And oh, yeah, that also <laughs> happened. <laughs> This kid pulled my chair out in band, a freaking trumpet player. Okay, that must have been like a thing for a while because that happened to my best friend in high school in band. It happened to me. (gasps) Guys, this is a thing. This must have been a thing. It was also with my saxophone. My seat was on the last row of the risers and I sat on (laughs) it and I went, Whoop, I disappeared from view. Luckily, the other, <laughs> the other risers were filled in. So like Whoop. everybody in the audience just saw me there and then not there for Wait, a it second. Was during a performance? Yes, it was a oh performance. And it was a full auditorium of people. And I just Why disappeared. Just come up yet? I just in dropped confession. Honestly, probably completely blocked it out until this moment. Because as you started to say that it happened to me in band, did you see the faraway look in my eye as I started to stare out the window? Because it came flooding back to me that I too flipped out of a chair. <laughs> with an instrument strapped to my body and of course my first question was like is my saxophone okay all right it doesn't matter it doesn't matter we're done here and someone other than megan needs to wrap up the episode it says (laughs) it's it's rachel Rachel. thank you for listening to montessori moms in the wild if you enjoyed this episode please follow us subscribe review and rate we are available on spotify and on apple Podcasts. And more places now. And yes, and oh. iHeartRadio and Google Podcasts and Amazon Music. We're on everything now. Like you can find us everywhere. Yeah, you have no excuses. You must find and listen. You can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Oh, right. I was like, what? Until next time, I was so anticipating what was going to happen. I was like, wait, what?